Good morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Oh, thank you. Love you all. It's so good to be here together. Happy Sabbath. How are you guys this morning? Good, good. I'm happy that you're here. Really quick, I just want to welcome uh, all the people in the room that are here for the first time. If this is your first time, welcome to our church. We're so happy that you're here. This happens every week, so keep coming back. We want you to hang out with us. And if this is your thousandth time, if you're like returning member, welcome back. I'm so happy that you're here and that we're doing life together. We are in an awesome series right now called uh, Deep Faith, and I am enjoying this series. In preparation for this series, um, I was thinking about my own life, and I realized that there have been big moments in my life where I've had this desire to go deeper in my relationship with God. Like as a result of my salvation, I, I wanted to move forward in my relationship with God and, and make it more real. And if you have ever had that hunger or if you currently have that hunger, our prayer for you is that through these next couple of weeks, your faith would actually deepen. You know, I love the graphics that we have here. My friend David made them. And I love seeing the roots because what we know is that for trees and, and plants and flowers, for them to, to grow and to flourish, it requires us to have them to have deep roots. And the same can be said for our faith. And so my prayer for you is that your roots would deepen, that your faith would deepen as a result of, of coming and worshiping here with us. And really quick, that video was awesome, wasn't it? Our awesome friend Elizabeth is the, you know, key actress in that video. And so you'll probably see her around here. So give her a thumbs up, you know, give her a high five and tell her that she did so good in that video. It'll mean a lot to her. Hey, so I want to begin today by talking about one of my biggest flaws, I'm going to say. I am not good at remembering things. It's just like not my strong suit. And, you know, parents, if you're thinking of your son right now, tell him to, we're going to talk about it, okay? Because sometimes when you're young, you have a hard time remembering things, staying on top of tasks. And basically my whole life, I've had this issue. And it's not clinical, all right? So there's no real thing going on with me. It's just that I often forget things. And sometimes my memory isn't good. Uh, and I've had it, had this, you know, battle my whole life. For instance, when I was younger, I remember around, you know, fourth or third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere between there, you know, the past is, is gray sometimes, but I remember when I started to get ready in the morning by myself. You know, up until a certain point, parents make sure that their kids are, you know, showered and their teeth are brushed and they make sure that they're wearing the appropriate clothes for the appropriate activities that day. And there comes a point where the kids start dressing themselves and start making sure that they're, you know, your teeth are brushed and deodorant is put on and all these things. And so I got to a certain point where I was getting ready in the morning by myself. And so I remember one morning I woke up and, you know, did what I did every morning, got ready, brushed my teeth, threw on my uniform, got my backpack on. And so I remember uh, this morning we were running a little bit late. And so I lived in Riverside and I went to school in Loma Linda. I went to Loma Linda Academy. And if you make that commute uh, often, then you know that if you leave at the wrong time, then you might be sitting in some terrible traffic. And so this morning we were a little bit behind schedule. So my mom was already in the car. And I remember, you know, 
going through the front door, running out to the car, hopping in, and we take off to school. And so we're driving to school, and, you know, it's one of those days where we were running late for sure. And so we're trying to take the right, you know, shortcuts to save some time, and we were still stuck in traffic, and it probably took us like 50, 55 minutes to get to our school. And so we pull up to the curb right as the bell is ringing for, you know, students to go into class. And, you know, I'm getting there and I'm getting out of the car and I stop and I turn around and I look at my mom and I go, mom, I forgot my shoes. <laughs> and the horror and surprise on her face, you know, when she realized that I forgot my shoes and she's like, how do you forget your shoes? Like out of everything, it feels like your shoes are what you would feel the most. Like if you're barefoot, you probably feel a breeze or something. You're like, how did you forget? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm eight, you know, like <laughs> I'm young. And so thankfully my mom went to the store and bought me shoes, which is very sweet of her, um, superhero mom, but not before making me go to class barefoot. And so for the first part of the day, I was in school with no shoes on. But honestly, you know, when you're a kid, you're weird, you know, it was kind of like a flex, like walking around the classroom barefoot. I'm like, yeah, I have no shoes on. You know, and, you know, kids were just like laughing and it felt good. And, but, you know, of course, I need to remember, remember to put on your shoes. And so this was like one of the earliest moments I could remember where I wasn't really good at remembering things. Now, it wasn't clinical. It was just, you know, I like to say that my imagination is just so awesome that I'm just thinking all the time of like awesome possibilities. And sometimes I think so much that I forget things. And so... This was something that I've, you know, kind of gone through my entire life. And I remember getting into college even. And, you know, my mom, like, she had it. And she sent me this package. And I didn't know it was from her. I just got this notification that there was a package for me. So I went and I got it. I brought it back to my room. And I opened up the box. And in the box, there's a bottle of pills. And I'm like, I did not order these pills. And my mom messages me. And she goes, hey, did you get my package? I'm like, you sent me these pills? And she goes, yeah, take them. They're going to fix your memory. And I remember thinking like, uh, okay. I forgot to take the pills. And so I never found out if they actually worked. <laughs> and so my life continued, just forgetting certain things. And, you know, now that I'm older, in my current stage of life, what I've done to, you know, I, I have to make a change. So what I've done is I started reading a book called Atomic Habits. And if right now you are trying to make better habits, break bad habits, be more consistent in certain areas in your life, I encourage you to read it. It is a fantastic book with a lot of uh, really great ways to form better habits. And so the writer begins by explaining the first thing you need to do in order to make better habits. And the first thing you need to do is make the habit obvious. Make it obvious. And so the writer says, like, say you want to run more. Your goal is to become a runner. What you do then is before you leave uh, for work in the morning, take your shoes, put them by the door. Lay out your workout clothes so that when you get home from work, you're more likely to go running because you see these things that are reminding you, right? These tell me, oh, I want to go running. If you want to read more, for the people who want to uh, become readers, what he says is in the morning when you make your bed, Put the book on top of your pillow so that when you get home at the end of the day, your book's there, you're reminded, oh, I want to read. And 
the chances of you becoming a reader increase. And so the first step is make it obvious. And he tells a story, and we're going to use this analogy today. He tells a story of a store owner who wanted to increase the sale of water bottles in his store. And so what he did is he looked at his store and he, he, he saw that the only place somebody could find water bottles was in the back of the store in one refrigerator. And so when people walked into the store, they either had to be super thirsty to go looking for the water or they probably would opt out and drink something else. And so he decided to increase the amount of places in the store where you could find water bottles. And so what he did is he took another refrigerator, put it closer to the front of the store. He got a basket, filled it with water bottles. And, and he, he got a poster even of the water bottle company. And so that when people walked into the store, they were walking into an environment that is built for purchasing water. When they walk into the environment, they're reminded, oh, I need to drink water. It's all around me. And so they became more likely to purchase water the chance or, or, or the purchases of water increased. Why? Because he made it obvious. Now, I want us today to talk about this concept because I think Paul actually had this concept first. You see, in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing a letter trying to get people to reorientate their life, to, to, to get different reminders in place to remind them of one thing, and that is Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy, and the first thing that he says that Timothy needs to address in his church is that there are people teaching different beliefs, and he calls them mythologies. Um, scripture says spiritual pedigrees, whatever those are. And so there's these things that are being taught that are contrary to the gospel. And so what Paul does is he writes to Timothy and he says, okay, the first thing we need to do, need to do in this environment is address the fake beliefs. And so what he does is he, you know, there's a poster of all these mythologies and a poster of these like spiritual pedigrees and all these things. And so what he does is he says, this is, we're taking this down. So he takes it down and he puts up a picture of Jesus and he reminds them that Jesus is central. He says, here's a trustworthy uh, saying that Jesus Christ came down to save us. He came down to remind us that we are loved, to show us that we are loved. And so what Paul does in chapter one is that he puts Jesus central again. He makes Jesus the main focus. And in the following chapters, what Paul does is he creates an environment for the community of God so that they would remember, they would be reminded of Jesus, so that they would keep Jesus central in their lives. And so in chapter two, he continues, and we have it up here on the, on the screen. Check this out. Expecto Patronum. Hey, kind of cool. All right. First uh, Timothy chapter two, let's read it together. It says this in verse one. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Thank you, wind. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Come on. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. 
And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm just telling the truth. I love these words from Paul. You know, he begins chapter 2 by talking about something very important. The first thing in chapter 2, you know, as he reorientates the believer's life, is he talks about prayer. And he says to pray for all people. So what Paul puts at the forefront, this is all to do with worship also, at the forefront of our worship is prayer. For Paul, prayer is very important. And so in my studies this week, I started thinking about my prayer life. And I realized sometimes my prayer life isn't that great. For example, uh, maybe you can relate to this. And if you relate to this, that's okay. We're all learning. We're all growing. But sometimes what my prayer life can look like is, you know, I wake up in the morning and I say one simple prayer. Good morning, God. Uh, thank you for a good night's rest. Please be with me today. Amen. And, you know, move on from my day. And you don't even think about anything else but what I have to do. And then the next time that I pray is like when I eat, right, and I throw up a quick prayer. God, thank you for this food. Please bless this food. Uh, I love you. Amen. And then that's our second prayer for the day. And the only other time that we pray is when we're already drifting off to sleep. And, you know, our eyes are closed. We're already tucked in, snuggled in. And then we remember, oh, maybe we should pray. And so I, you know, I'll say a quick prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you made for me. Please help me have a good night's rest. And I'm already drifting off into sleep. And that is my prayer life. And then that's it. But Paul is calling us to a deeper kind of prayer life. He's reminding us of the importance of praying, of being in connection with God. And so Paul says this, first of all, pray and pray for all people. Now, I love the inclusivity in this, in this first part. Paul calls the community of God to pray for all people, meaning the people that you agree with and the people that you don't agree with. The people that support the same beliefs as you and the people that don't support the same beliefs as you. Now, this would be challenging during the time because in this church, there are different uh, people coming. There are the Greeks. There are people from another cult. There are people who are Jewish. And so what you see in this church is obvious divisions, things that would keep them apart. And so Paul writes to this community that does experience forms of division and, and things that keep them from each other. And he says, first of all, pray for all people. And so as people who, who, who read this word, we have to be called or we have to know that we are called to pray for all people. Not just the people that we agree with. Not just the people that, that you know, it's easy to talk to. No, Paul is calling us to pray for the people that are on the other spectrum than us. Whether it be politics or uh, religion or whatever it is, Paul is calling first. It's an inclusive statement. Pray for all people. And then he continues. Give thanks or intercede and give thanks for all people. Now, I studied this word a little bit, to intercede. And in the Greek, what this word meant is to bring a formal petition in front of a government official. So you go before a government official and you have a request or some kind of petition and you bring it before the official so that hopefully they would answer. And so Paul paints this picture of the community of God 
interceding on each other's behalf, meaning praying for the people around them that they would experience, that they would get a blessing, that they would see God move in their life. Now, I was thinking about this week, this this week, and what I recognize is that in order to intercede on someone's behalf, it requires us to know each other. In order to pray for someone in this way that Paul is talking about, it requires us to actually know who the person is and what that person is going through. Now, this was challenging for me because what I realized is that sometimes what's really easy for me to do, and even as a pastor, just to coast through the church service. And, you know, here's the things that I'm going to do, and I'm going to give my message, and, and then, you know, I'm already thinking about the end of the day or even for, for those of us who come and don't have responsibilities, sometimes church is just the place that we come through and we sit in the same seat around the same people and, and, you know, we're too scared to talk to anybody or whatever it is and we come to church and then we leave. But the picture that Paul is painting for the community of God is a community that knows each other and prays for each other. And so what this means for us is this, we need to know each other. We need to know the name of the person sitting in front of us or behind us or maybe even on the other side of the room because when we know each other, we're able to pray for each other. And so the prayer that Paul is talking about here is a prayer that is intimate, not general. Like right now, I'm going to pray multiple times today and, you know, I could give out general prayers. I could pray generally for peace. I could pray generally for hope. But there's something special that happens when we pray specific prayers. And so what Paul is actually talking about is prayers that look like this. Lord, here is so-and-so. I'm bringing them before you. And Lord, you know that they lost their job this week. And Lord, I pray that you would open up the right doors for them and you would close the wrong doors for them because you know that they need a job and they have bills. And Lord, I pray that you would bring a job to him. And so... The prayers that Paul is talking about are specific. And so what that means for us is this. We need to know each other. We need to be able to know each other to the point where we can actually pray and intercede on each other's behalf. Now, not only is this good for each other, it's good when we pray for each other, but Paul actually writes that when we pray, God is pleased. Did you know that when you pray, God gets happy? Like when you pray, and especially when you pray in a community, God actually smiles. Like God likes it when his community talks to him. And, and, and I was reading this week and I love how Paul says that God is pleased because what that means is like when we talk to him, God is stoked. And I was thinking about this phrase in relationship to this. Um, there's this phrase, and maybe you've heard of it before. It goes like this, relationship over religion relationship over religion. And we've heard this before and it's a powerful phrase and it's a very important phrase. For some of us, we grew up in a culture where it was all about the rules and the do's and the don'ts and it was rigid. And as a result of the rigid, rigidness, we lost sight of grace and we lost sight of, you know, the faith and the hope that comes from Jesus. And so what we did is instead of holding on to you know, just strict religion, we said, no, 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 this is a relationship. We're in relationship with Jesus. And in a relationship, there is grace and there's room to make mistakes and not be perfect. And this phrase was so, and still is so powerful. But I was thinking about this this week. 
Relationship over religion. And I realize in relationships, we have to learn what someone likes or how someone likes to be loved. For example, for me, if you want to know how to love me well, you know, it, it, there's a couple of things you can do. One, Korean barbecue. If you want to love me well, let's go out to eat. Like that makes me feel loved. Or, or maybe if there's some of us in the room, the way that, you know, uh, for the gamers in the room, uh, if you want to love a gamer well, let them play video games and then just be around. Like if you have a teenage son, like playing video games right there with you just in the general vicinity, they'll feel loved. And what, what that could look like also is like when they're excited, you know, because something happened that's good and they're like, let's go. And they're like, did you see that? Just be like, yeah, that was great. You don't need to know what happened. Just, you know, that'll make them feel loved. Or like when something goes bad and they're, they're rage quitting, like, no, just you too. Just be like, no, like that's how you love a gamer well. But then there's people who aren't gamers, who want to be loved differently. For example, my mom, she's not a gamer, like whatsoever, okay? No, the way that my mom likes to be loved is by, you know, going to coffee. I know, but knowing my mom, she loves coffee and will go to a coffee shop and she'll get her cute little latte, you know, with the little flower on it. And then my mom loves to be talked to with, you know, eye contact. And so we'll talk together and we'll, you know, make sure we maintain eye contact and my mom likes deep conversation. And so, you know, the question that comes up a lot is like, so how did that make you feel? You know, and she wants to know, like, how are you doing? Are you okay? And, and so we have deep conversations. And then the rest of it is talking about Brene Brown and all the, her amazing books. And she loves it. That's probably like 80 to 90% of our conversation. And then the last 10% of our conversation is talking about Mosby, my dog, and showing her photos and whatnot and, and posting stuff about him. And that's what my mom likes. That's how my mom likes to be loved. And I know that if I want to love her, I'm going to take her to coffee. Like imagine I told my mom, Mom, it was her birthday this week, so let's go to her, like imagine it's her birthday. Mom, it's your birthday and I just want to celebrate you because I love you so much and you had so much patience with me. You raised me so well, and I just want to, I want to make sure that you know how loved and special you are. So here's my Xbox control. <laughs> go have fun. I'll just be around, okay? Go, you, go ahead. My mom would be like, okay, no. Like, she wouldn't un even know how to react to that because that's not how my mom wants to be loved. No, the way that my mom wants to be loved is coffee, conversation, Brene Brown, Mosby, because these are the things that make her feel seen. Relationships require us to know each other. And we know this across the board. Like we know this in our friendships. We know this in our relationships with our partners. We know this in our relationships with our parents. And across the board, if we want to love our partner and our friends and our brothers and our sisters well, it requires us to know how they want to be loved. Now I want us to think about this. How does God want to be loved? What makes God happy? Paul tells us that when we pray, when the community of God actually talks together and talks to him, God gets happy. God is stoked when you talk to him. I mean, I can imagine God going, yes, they're talking to me. They want, they want me to be involved in their life. They want me to, to actually be part of the things that they're doing. And God's love language is prayer. God likes to be talked to. And so when we pray together and when the community of God intercedes on each other's behalf, God smiles. 
and God gets happy. And Paul continues by telling us that he's pleased also because as a result of our prayers, people know their salvation and they know the truths of God. And so when we pray together and when we're in an environment of prayer, we are more likely to remember our salvation. We learn and we remember the goodness of God. And I liken it to this. One of my favorite sports is the UFC, the United Fighting Championship, which I know is kind of ironic for a pastor, you know, but I don't know what it is. I enjoy it. And so my whole life, I grew up watching sports with my dad. He loves baseball, basketball, football. Like, you know, he's about it. And I just never felt connected to the sports until it came to the UFC. And there's something about it where I'm just like, I'm just stoked about it, you know. And I know all the different fighters in the different divisions. I know the legendary uh, fights of the past. And I'm excited about, you know, the upcoming fights. And it's the sport that I really like. And so it was a very beautiful moment when I found out that Pastor Isai also loved the UFC. Like when he, when, you know, we were both enjoying the UFC, but then when we both found out that we liked the UFC, something special happened. <laughs> like we enjoy food. I mean, maybe you know that about me and Isai. We love barbecuing. We love stuff like that. But all of a sudden we realized that we could pair epic barbecue nights with UFC fights. And together we made the most amazing barbecue fight nights. And we would be there eating good food and just screaming at the screen. And what was also fun when we liked the, the, the fighters that were fighting each other and we had, you know, I was going for one, Isai was going for the other and something special happens in that moment. And me and Isai grew in our friendship, except when, you know, our fighters are, you know, there's a little toughness there, but we grew in our friendship for the most part. And at the same time, our appreciation for the UFC increases. Like we, we don't hate the UFC as a result of watching the UFC. Like we like it even more. Now, this is what happens when the community of God prays together. As a result of believers praying with believers, we become more aware of our salvation. We become more aware of the goodness of God. When we pray together, we're reminded that we are loved, that we are seen, that we are wanted. And so what we are called to is a prayer life together, a communal prayer, because it's in the community of God when we pray together that we are reminded of our salvation, that we are reminded of God's goodness. Now, what I know is that for some of us, the environments that we've created in our life, remind us more of our mistakes and the past than, than the grace of God and the goodness of God. And so for some of us, we find ourselves walking in, in shame and reminded of the past because that's what the environment we live in looks like. But I want to remind you today that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is God becoming your interior designer. God wants to move into your life and he wants to rearrange and, and, and reorganize your house and your life so that you would be reminded of his grace, that you would be reminded of his goodness, you would be reminded of your salvation. Now, what I know is that for so much of my life, I have felt unworthy of a life with Jesus because of the past, because of 
mistakes. I have felt incapable of accessing this life with Jesus. But I want to remind you today that, that God is for everyone. That grace was for all people. And so today know that God is calling you. God wants you. God is reminding you of his mercy, of his grace. My prayer is that you would remember your salvation, that you would remember the goodness of God. God wants to reorganize our lives, so may we be people that allow God to move in, to be our interior designer, and rearrange our lives so we would be in an environment that always points us back to Jesus, always points us back to the cross, always points us back to his goodness. So today what I want to do is I want to pray a special prayer for those of us in the room who who want to rearrange our lives again, who want to allow Jesus to move in and to remind you of the right things and the good things. So I want to invite us all to pray. So let's bow our eyes or bow our heads, close our eyes. And I want to pray a special blessing over you today. Lord, right now, humbly we come before you. And Jesus, I know that there are people in this room who, who struggle with knowing whether or not they're worthy, whether or not they're good enough. Lord, I know how powerful the past can be. And Lord, for the person in the room today who feels far from you, I pray that they would be reminded of your grace. They would be reminded of your goodness. Lord, your mercy, your grace is eternal. It's for everyone. It's always. And so Lord, for those of us in the room today that that are consistently just looking at the past, looking at the mistakes, looking at the things that have happened to us. Lord, I pray that they would look back and see the cross, the eternal symbol of our redemption. That they would be reminded that your love is for them, that your grace is more. Lord, thank you that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more, Jesus. I pray that that truth would, would permeate our souls. And Lord, I pray that this community would be a community that would point people to Jesus, that when people would walk into this room, they would be surrounded by symbols, by, 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 by pointers that are pointing to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as a community, that we would become the community that you're calling us to. Lord, thank you for this grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the hope and the future that comes from a life with you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand up and let's worship one more time.